Okay, John 3, uh, John 15, I think I said John 3, obviously I'm a little distracted. John 15 and verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Thus far, the word of God. Let's pray. O Lord our God, Father Almighty, as you have spoken through your Son of old, we come now to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ given by your spirit through your servant John so long ago. We bless you, O God, for the lessons we have learned thus far uh, through this remarkable book. Uh, the, the beauty of Christ portrayed before our eyes, the, the beauty of the work of Christ, uh, the marvel of your mercy, and the wonder of your grace that you would stoop to save sinners, even coming from the, the realms of glory to the lower parts of the earth, even to dwell amongst men. Lord, as we continue through this portion, we ask that you would bless our understanding and that in it all Christ be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last week, Christ, our Redeemer, taught us that the world hates us because he has called us out of the world unto himself. We heard how the world hates it when someone is taken away from them, out of them. They want us all to be kept in us. But they also told us that the world hates us because they hated him beforehand. And it's a wonder, isn't it, that when Jesus saves us, he gives us a new citizenship. He plunders the kingdom of darkness and he brings us into the kingdom of his light. And we know the love of God. We no longer belong to the world. We belong to Jesus. We've been bought with a price, even the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for this reason, the world and those who are in the world hate us and persecute the people of God. They have so since from the beginning, even as Cain persecuted his own brother and slew him. Jesus continues to teach the disciples in the upper room, explaining that his doctrine and his mighty works, verse 22 and 24, have revealed what was in man and provoked man to sin. We saw this back in John 3. We've gone back many times to this passage because it's foundational. John 3.19. Here's the reality. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. It's a wonderful blessing that God would bring us out of the darkness, into his light, even to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus now goes on to teach that his coming and his working mighty miracles has resulted in further and greater condemnation for the Jews. This is what we'll look at this morning. Use three main headings. The danger of neglecting spiritual privileges. The danger of neglecting spiritual privileges. Secondly, hating Jesus equals hating God. If you hate Jesus, you hate God. And thirdly, the word being fulfilled, they hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. Our theme then is, do not neglect so great a salvation from so great a Savior. 
Come to Jesus, and he will save you. We begin then with the danger of neglected spiritual privileges. This is found in verses 22 and 24. Verse 22, we heard, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. You consider it, Jesus did not come to just any nation. He came to the nation of Israel, his covenant people. A covenant people because God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and made a covenant with him that he would be a God to him and do this his descendants in their generations after him. And God has demonstrated his faithfulness over and over and over again. You consider the account of the Exodus and the going out into the wilderness, the rebellion, the grumbling, the murmuring of the people of God, and their whoring after other gods, even bringing idols with them up out of the land of Egypt. And yet God was faithful to them. He made covenant promises, and he kept those covenant promises. This is the nation whom Jesus came to. The nation, the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the people whom God drove out mighty nations before them to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as an inheritance. These are also the people whom God sent his prophets to over and over and over again, calling them to repentance, warning them, uh, declaring the gospel as you see so clearly in the prophets. And particularly these are the people who the prophets foretold the Messiah, the anointed one, the Messiah, the servant of the Lord. Even as we find it in Isaiah, as we're into that portion now, these are the people whom Jesus came to. Jesus appeared to that generation is abundantly clear. You look at the four Gospels, there's, there's no denying that Jesus came. He was in the midst of the people. He walked among them. He was born in Bethlehem, just as the prophets foretold. He was born of a virgin, again, as the prophet foretold. He was born of the tribe of Judah and of the line of King David, as had been foretold by God through the prophets. And so it is that Jesus lived among his people, the Jews, all the days of his life on the earth. And then at 30 years of age, he was anointed as the Christ, the Messiah. John, the Baptist of the tribe of Levi, he anointed him as the King, the Messiah, the one who was promised. And then... For three years, Jesus went out throughout the land, up and down and back and forth across the land, even into the small villages, preaching and performing miracles. Mighty miracles were told how some evenings he would start healing people and on into the night. Or it's recorded that he healed all the people that were sick of that place. He's been in their midst. This is the one who has come to them. This is the one who has revealed himself to them. In verse 22, Jesus makes it clear these um, if I had not come and spoken to them. This is one of the things you see in the gospel that Jesus went throughout the land preaching. I think too often we read the gospels, we focus on the miracles, the healings, and they're remarkable. Um, and on one occasion, Jesus is preparing to leave. I think he's leaving Capernaum. And the disciples said, but Lord, there's more that have come. In other words, the word's gone out, more have come. They've heard his healing. He says, no, I must go to other villages for to preach for this purpose. I have come. And so we see the word, the living word, the word of God come into the world, goes proclaiming the truth of God as the word of God. That is the purpose for which he came. But then verse 24, he also says, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did. So he not only spoke to them, he displayed through his deeds the love of God, the mercy of God, the manifest glory of God. Everywhere Jesus went, he was healing the sick. 
He raised the dead. He fed the multitudes. Jesus healed the blind man who was blind from birth. And in that account, you remember that it was remarked, and the man himself, in confronting the religious leaders, said, nothing like this has been done since the beginning of time. A man blind from birth receiving his sight. Has anyone heard of such a thing? He said. And yet the Jews threw that man out of the visible church. They, we say effectively, they excommunicated him because he was defending Jesus and he had faith and hope in Christ. And even at that occasion, the Jews were more determined to murder Jesus. Then Jesus performed what is arguably his greatest miracle to that point, raising Lazarus from the dead. You will remember the phrase I used, and it underscores the significance of that Lazarus was the four-day dead man. It wasn't just dead a little while, like the widow of Nain's son, who died and they were carrying him out to bury him. Lazarus lay in the tomb four days dead. Everyone in the area knew it. And to be certain of it, they opened the tomb. And as the sisters were concerned, the stench of death would have been there. Lazarus was a four-day dead man. And Jesus raised him from the dead. As verse 24, Jesus says, The works which no one else did. No one has ever heard of such a thing. And indeed, throughout the course of history, there's nothing like this miracle. This was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the context, and the religious leaders, they hear of it, and they're terrified. They're afraid that the Romans will come and take the nation away from them. They hold this position of power, of ruling under the Romans, and yet they chafed under it. At this moment, though, because of Jesus, they, they're grasping to hold on to this position, and they're concerned because the people are going out after Jesus that they'll lose their position. And Caiaphas declared, Caiaphas even prophesied, not a converted man, but nonetheless, because it was a high priest, Caiaphas prophesied that it was expedient for us that one man should die for the people. So here is this generation of the people of God. They beheld Emmanuel. God was with them. In the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul writes later, he says, In him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There he was in the midst of his people. He had come to his covenant people, fulfilling the promise of God, coming to earth. They saw him. They heard him. They touched him. They were touched by him. And yet they rejected him. All this, Jesus says, left them without excuse. Even more so, that less them with an intensified guilt. A greater guilt. Because they had been given so much, and yet they reject him. So this is, um, understand what Jesus says. Uh, in verse 22, it says, they would have had no sin, but now they have no excuse. Verse 24, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. Jesus is not declaring that... Had he not come, these people were free from sin, that they were sinless. We know that the scriptures are clear that we are conceived in sin. We are born sinners. The original sin of Adam is upon us, in us all. And we evidence it even from the earliest years. Jesus is teaching that the Jews have added to all their other sins the sin of rejecting their Redeemer. He's come to them. The Savior of the world was truly present in their midst, walking amongst them, giving all the evidence that He was, as He said He was, sent from God, that He was the Son of God, that He and the Father were one, that He was only doing what He saw the Father doing and declaring only what He heard His Father declaring. The evidence was overwhelming, and yet they rejected Him. John wrote in his prologue, 
this reality. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who has been with them, that who is in their midst, that who has walked amongst them, ministering to them. And thus Jesus justly declares in verse 22, they have no excuse for their sin. Tremendous spiritual privileges, tremendous spiritual blessings, tremendous physical blessings. They've been visited by God, and yet they reject him. Now, before going on, let's summarize what Jesus is teaching the disciples at this moment. I'm borrowing from, I think, um, William Hendrickson as he takes the overall message of Jesus here and sums it up this way. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have not added this great sin of rejecting me. But now through these works, they have seen both me and my father for my works reveal him. For they are his works also. And yet for all this, they have hated me and my father. They already did hate him. And they've just added more hate upon hate. So here's a lesson. In addition to all the sins that they are guilty of, they've now added the greater sin of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who can save a sinner from sin, from death, and from hell. This is the tragedy of unbelief for which there is no forgiveness of sin. You see, if you're steeped in the sin of unbelief, if you resist that, you remain there. There's no hope of salvation. For in order to be saved, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no pardon. There's no forgiveness for the sin of unbelief. But if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God's grace is sufficient to wash and to cleanse from all sin. But these were steeped in unbelief. Let's apply that a little bit. What does this have to do with us in 2022? J.C. Ryle puts it rather directly, quote, religious privileges are in a certain sense a very dangerous thing. He goes on, if they do not help us toward heaven, they will only sink us deeper into hell. Think about that. You're growing up in the church. You're a young person. You've enjoyed tremendous religious privileges throughout your life. I think all of you young people, all your days you've been in the church. You've grown up in the house of God. You've grown up in godly homes. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the scriptures time and time again. You've seen a clear demonstrations of the power of God to save in his grace and mercy. Religious privileges are in a certain sense a very dangerous thing. If they do not help you toward heaven... They only sink you deeper into hell. We see that here with this nation, a whole nation of religious people boasting in their religion. Consider the parable of Jesus of the unfaithful servant who was unfaithful at his master's coming. Jesus said, for everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed to him, they will ask the more. Growing up in the church, tremendous privileges. Do you take these for granted? Are you indifferent to them? Are you careless in spiritual matters? You hear the call of Christ by and large every week. Jesus invites you to come to him. Yet you resist. 
Or perhaps you're like these religious people. Though they go through religious movements, they, uh, movements, they go to the temple, they bring in tithe and even their herbs and spices, and yet their hearts are far from them. Jesus condemned them because they neglected the weightier matters of the law. How much more to neglect so great a salvation that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. To go on with a careless indifference to the things of God. To be more enamored with the voice of the world, following after things of the world. I, I agree for you young people, for in your day, the social media is such a powerful pull. I read articles every week of the, the social impact, the mental impact uh, that it's having on, on young people. There's tremendous temptations for you, things that can capture you and carry away. Don't let those things overwhelm the truth of who Christ is and the glory of the gospel. You have received tremendous spiritual privileges let those things be embraced, taken up, and run with, running, pressing on at the enterprise of a high calling which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those who live their lives in the church and reject Jesus, there's a greater condemnation that will come upon them. These Jews of old, they have nothing that they can use in their defense on the day of judgment. It's a sober thing. It is a sober thing for anyone to stand before God Almighty on the day of judgment. Before the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, as we're told by Scripture, will be seated on a great white throne of judgment. For the Father is given to Him to judge the nations. And this one who they rejected will be the one that they behold in majesty. They won't be able to behold Him. They'll be so overwhelmed with the glory and majesty of His holiness. What will they say? As the judge of all the earth says, I walked in your midst. Did I not heal ten lepers, and yet only one came back rejoicing? Will you be such a one that God has done great things for you, and yet you turn away? What excuse? There is no excuse to be offered in that day. Indeed, our cry must be, help me, O Savior sinners. Come, stoop, and save me from my sin and self. Deliver me from your wrath, O Lord Jesus Christ. Wrath that I justly deserve. Do not neglect the spiritual privileges that you have. Here we see those who have, and there's no excuse. Well, secondly, we want to consider hating Jesus equals hating God. Verse 23, is, it's a short verse, and it's rather direct. It, it, it speaks for itself. You, indeed, I won't spend long on it. We will take some time to expose it. But Jesus says, he who hates me hates my father also. It's just that matter of fact. That's the way it is. The great snare for the Jews was that they uh, they were thinking that all they needed to do is claim Abraham as their father, and because Abraham's father was God, therefore everything's good. God's their father. And so great was their spiritual blindness because of sin that they think they missed the reality that Abraham walked as a man of faith. He believed God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. They just think they can come waltzing into heaven because they're excuse me, children of Abraham. But Jesus rebuked the Jews over this. He says, Abraham longed to see my day. Abraham was looking with the eye of faith to the one that was promised to him that would be his seed through whom all the nations of the earth would bless. Abraham looked with faith. And there's Abraham's sons looked with presumption. They claimed to love God even as they hated God's only begotten Son, whom He set into the world to save sinners. 
What a disconnect. Verse 23, Jesus is teaching why the guilt is so great for those who heard Jesus and His Word and yet rejected Him. Why the condemnation and judgment is so great for those who saw His works and still rejected Him. This will come as no surprise to you since most of you have been with us since the beginning of the book of John. Jesus' doctrine, yea, His dogma, that is, that is something that is absolute and not open for debate, is that every word He uttered was from the Father. And to reject His words was to reject God, who they claimed to know and even claimed to love. Every work, every good deed that Jesus did was from the Father and for the Father's glory. And they claimed to love God, and yet they rejected His works. They mocked Him. He delivers people from demons because He's of the devil. What utter blasphemy. You reject Jesus, you reject the Father. And indeed, as John began, this glorious truth, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That's who's in their midst. The very Word of God. The Logos of God. The Word of God was at the beginning. So when God spoke at the beginning, creating all things, it was Christ, the Word that went forth and accomplished what the Father spoke. He was what the Father spoke, the Word of God, creating all things out of nothing. That is power beyond our comprehension. And to reject that one is to reject the one who uttered the word, the one who sent the word, the one who is the father of the word. To reject Jesus is to reject God. To reject Jesus' word is to reject God's word. Furthermore, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are all one God, equal in power and glory. Rejecting any one of the divine persons is to reject the whole of the triune God. There are many down through history, and even walking around today, who claim to believe in God. We know in our day, it's not popular. You you might even get persecuted for naming the name of Christ. Praying in Jesus' name. Having hope in Jesus. To bear witness to who Jesus is. But the world's kind of okay if you're like, you know, I love God. I'm spiritual. I have faith. Those things are tolerable. Even in our day. But to reject Jesus Christ is to reject God. He is God's only begotten Son sent into the world to save sinners. The very idea to think that you can worship and serve God all the while rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ is certain to keep you in the bonds of iniquity. Matthew Poole, commentator a couple of hundred years ago, says it is a common error of the world that many pretend to love God, yet while yet they manifest hate are manifest haters of God. I'm sorry, of It's a common error of the world that many pretend to love God, while yet they are manifest haters of Christ and his gospel. Jesus teaches that it's impossible to hate him and love the Father. If you hate Christ, you hate God the Father. Just briefly applying this, if you hear this, if you think that you are right with God and ready for death, but have rejected Jesus Christ and the gospel is revealed in the word of God, then you are self-deceived and most certainly not saved. You're still dead in your trespasses and sin and under the wrath and curse of God for sin. You see, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. To reject the greatest gift ever given, the Son of God given by the Father, is to reject everything that God the Father is about and everything that He has done in loving kindness and mercy to the sons of Adam. You cannot have God without coming to Him 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Thirdly, then, we consider the word fulfilled. Jesus says, they hated me without a cause. Verse 25. But this happened, this, the rejection of him, this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Jesus moves on to explain to the 11 men in the upper room that are with him that this hatred that the Jews have for him is a fulfillment of prophecy. God governs all his creatures, all their actions, whatsoever he ordained comes to pass, and God works in, by, and through means. This hatred of the Jews for Jesus was foretold by the prophets of God of old, and the Jews yet were responsible for their hatred. The hatred's in their heart. It's there out of their own free will. They're acting out their hatred of God and his Christ, and it will result in the Jews crucifying the son of David, the son of Mary, the son of God. And indeed, it was necessary that Jesus be crucified in order to save his people from their sin. For this reason, God sent him into the world. But it was through this means of the Jews hating him that they demanded that he be crucified. They demanded of Pilate that if he was a lover of Caesar, then this man must be put to death. But indeed, it was God who declared, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. And indeed, Jesus was cursed by God to save his people from their sin. He came as the substitute that God has sent to be given for the sake of salvation of his people. God's eternal decree was fulfilled when Jesus was crucified, and yet in such a manner that the guilt for the act of the crucifixion was upon the people, for they did so out of hatred. You remember we've seen in Isaiah prophecies that through Babylon, Israel will be disciplined, uh, they'll be carried away captive. God was at work in that because his people have been rebellious and disobedient. But then later on, God speaks judgment on Babylon, though Babylon was his instrument. Babylon did it for a whole number of other reason. They did it with a zeal and a vehemence and a strength and a hatred for the Jews. And God judged them even though he was their instrument. God is over all and at work in all. And so it is God's eternal decree was filled in the Lord, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ when he was crucified. Here in verse 25, we find Jesus is quoting from the Psalms, two Psalms in particular, Psalm 35 and Psalm 69. These are Psalms of David. There were situations in David's life where uh, people who were near to him, close to him, even dear to him, men who had been his friends, who he had been a blessing to and had shared out of his abundance with them, had turned upon him. These who had once been his companions had become his enemies. And David speaks in of how they have hated me without a cause. But David so often is a type of Christ, pointing to Christ. The greater fulfillment of what David was going through is in the Lord Jesus Christ. For surely he was hated without a cause. There are times when David treated treated these men like brothers. You see that in uh, Psalm 35, verses 13 and 14, how when these men were afflicted, David sorrowed with them in their sorrows and sought to comfort them. Such was the kindness of David, and yet they forgot it. They turned on him. They hated him without a cause. How much more so Jesus Christ. In Psalm 69, men had David hated David without a cause because of his zeal for the Lord. Who does that remind you of? Abel? 
Abel, Adam and Eve's son, he loved the Lord. He sought to worship the Lord. He sought to be faithful before God. And reminded Cain of his own faithlessness and his own sin. And he hated his brother without a cause and rose up and slew him. And even so, it happened to David. But particularly in both these cases, we find the fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. How much more unjust are the enemies of Christ hating him, even a nation that hated him, whom God had done so much good for, rising up early and often to send the prophets to them, time and again delivering them out of the hands of the oppressors, showing them mercy time and again, and yet they rejected their own Messiah. It was to the Jews that God sent the Messiah. And when he came, they thought they were honoring God by destroying him. So blind were they in their false religion and apostasy. Paul, the apostle, he writes of this. In Romans 10, he speaks of the Jews. For I bear them witness that they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. What is that righteousness of God to which they submitted? Should have submitted. It's Christ. He's the righteousness of God come to save sinners. It's His righteousness that speaks on our behalf. It's His righteousness that clothes and robes us. For we have none of our own but what's filthy rags. And the Jews rejected Him. And they crucified the righteous Lamb of God. That same blindness and misplaced zeal was in Paul when he was formerly called Saul. He bears witness of that. He said he thought... He says, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. He thought he was honoring God, serving God, as he sought out those who were of the way and persecuting them, arresting them, bringing them in chains to Jerusalem. He thought he was honoring God. It was not until God struck him down on the road to Damascus that he did did he understand his errors. Paul writes of this in Acts 22 when he's bearing witness. He says, I am a Jew born of Tarsus in Sicilia. Brought up the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. A blindness brought on by sin. And yet, with a heart of hatred, hating Christ, Without a cause. It's a stunning thing. Sinners are still in rebellion against God and against His Christ. For what reason? On what basis is it right to hate God? There's no basis for it. It's the manifestation of the sin that captures and holds men and women, boys and girls in bondage. So it is, sinner, if you're rejecting Jesus, you do so because you hate God. Whatever you may pretend that you do, if you say you love God, then you're ultimately you're loving a God of your own imagination, of your own creation, of your own mind, because the one true and living God has sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners. And if you love God, you will love His Son. You will flee to Him, for He alone can save you from your sin. God has only ever done you good. You may look at your circumstances. One of the things that people get angry about is they see something that's unjust. They say, well, if God's good and all-powerful, why did that happen? Well, the answer is simple. Because Adam sinned. 
That's why there's bad things happening in the world. That's why bad things happen to good people. God is at work in all that and above all that to bring about his purpose. God is altogether good. And when bad things happen to good people, God is accomplishing his purpose. But God has only ever done you good. Sunshine and rain, clothing, food, shelter, friends. Indeed, there's times when you suffer loss, but God has never ultimately harmed you. Why do you hate God? It's because of sin that captures your heart. Put down your excuses then and flee. Flee to Jesus, for Jesus brings sinners to the Father. No one comes to me but by the the Father draw him. So we've seen in this text three main lessons. The danger of neglecting spiritual privileges. Do not lose sight of that. The danger of neglecting spiritual privileges. Hating Jesus equals hating God. Indeed, the word is fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Our theme has been, do not neglect so great a salvation for so great a Savior. In spite of this, that men have hated Jesus, if you come to Jesus, he will save you. For his very name means Savior. He's come to save his people from their sin. So do not neglect the gospel. Do not sit by and ignore the good news. Do not miss the clear demonstration of the work of God in creation and providence in your own life as well. And do not miss Jesus when he walks in the middle of our assembly. For surely he's with us even now. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord God of glory, we marvel that Jesus would take this time to explain things so thoroughly. That he would instruct the disciples of old to understand those who were soon going to seize him and indeed whom they themselves would be seized, arrested, beaten, be beaten by, and some of them even put to death at the hands of these same God-hating individuals. Father, even as we think about it, it was the Jewish nation that did this. Father, you uh, broke off from the cultivated olive stock that we as wild shoots could be grafted in. Father, we do join with Paul and his desire that his countrymen would be saved. Oh, Lord God, even as you pour out your gospel upon the Gentiles' nation, would you provoke the Jews to jealousy, that they would cling and flee, flee to and cling to their Messiah, whom they have rejected for so long. And Father, we rejoice to know that there are many sons of Abraham, according to the flesh, have become true sons of Abraham, according to the Spirit. Lord, may it continue to be so as you pour out your word and spirit upon the land today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.